California senator proposes a new sex offender bill. The left trends wrong Trump after the passing of Robert Trump. Pelosi and the Democrats return early from vacation. And the DNC convention gets underway. All that and more on this episode of The Johnny Ray Show. Welcome to a special episode of The Johnny Ray Show to kick off a whole week of The Johnny Ray Show. I'm doing a whole week dedicated to the DNC convention where I'll have guests to discuss all the current events of the week as well as covering every detail of the DNC Democratic National Convention. More on that a little later on, but first. Today, podcasts are all the rage. Everyone wants a voice, and now Anchor has given you that voice. Anchor is the easiest way to podcast, whether it's political or fun, about parenting, or just your day-to-day routine. Anchor is the free, easy way to get heard. Anchor allows you to create, edit, and publish your podcast right from your smartphone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you, so you don't have to. It's everything you need to create a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. A California state senator, Scott Weiner of San Francisco, is trying to drag up an old bill allowing quote-unquote judges discretion over the voluntary sex of minors ages 14 to 17 who can't legally consent and adults less than 10 years older. Weiner stated, California's sex offender registry continues to draw that distinction that somehow oral sex is worse than vaginal sex, and that's horrific homophobia and irrational, and it ruins people's lives, end quote. So, Weiner states that offenders who engage in oral sex should not be subject to the sex offender registry mandates. So if my daughter is 14 and a 23-year-old man who's less than 10 years older coerces her to be with him and he engages her to commit oral acts on him or vice versa, Weiner believes that man should not be penalized. This is ridiculous. It's sick and it's creeping slowly and slowly down the road of normalizing pedophilia. This whole normalized pedophilia has been trending a lot lately on the social media, and people are actually defending pedophiles and their acts. They're calling for the abolishment of punishment of pedophilia. It's insane. Just look at how they normalize Hollywood. They've normalized the acts of... Hollywood sexualizing children. It's been it's been happening for years and they've turned a blind eye because it's liberal Hollywood and they normalize it. There are petitions out there right now to normalize the adult sexual act with a minor. It it's all over the place. They I've seen literal reports of people petitioning to be able to uh, 
what they call age fluid now. It's age fluid. So a man could could identify as underage and not be arrested or punished for having sexual acts with somebody who is underage or or even vice versa they could have sexual acts with somebody and then they could coerce that underage person to just simply identify as somebody of an older age i mean it it's getting crazy it it was it started with the transgender separation of sex and gender and identifying they have 5000 different identities now and it slowly moved in it it came along with the with the drag queens rolling around on the floor with children during story time in the library and now it's moving into now this where they want to normalize the behavior of a grown person man or woman, having engaged in sexual acts with underage children. If, if, if this gets normalized, I will, I will drive my car off of the highest cliff possible because it is ridiculously crazy to me to think that Anybody, it, 10 years ago, if you had told me that there would be people that would be arguing the fact that, that grown men and women should be able to engage in sexual congress with somebody under the age of 18, I would have called you a nutcase. And yet here we are in 2020 America, and there are people doing it. It is just insane. It is crazy, leftist, progressive, nutwing, Fruit Loop Dingus is what it is. Fruit Loops, Fruit Loop Dingus, Fruit Loop Dingus, Fruit Loop Dingus bust a fool again. And speaking of insane, less than three hours after the passing of younger brother of President Donald Trump, Saturday evening, social media exploded with a new trend. I've seen some crazy leftist liberal trends in my day on social media. Just to name a few. Hashtag just a clump of cells. Or hashtag Trump virus. Or even hashtag Biden 2020. <laughs> but this is by far the most disgusting, the most vile trend I have seen in the entirety of being on social media. Less than three hours after the passing of Robert Trump, liberals trended the hashtag wrong Trump. That's sick. That is disgusting behavior from any human being. It, it, it's not just a liberal thing at this point. It's a moral human being thing. And they have sunk to a all-time low. Basically saying that the wrong Trump died, which is radically crazy. I mean, could you imagine if anybody on the right started a trend wishing the death of Barack Obama instead of the untimely passing of John Lewis? 
Or if Nancy Pelosi had a sister who died and the right trended hashtag wrong Pelosi, the country would erupt in riots. Not like the left hasn't been burning our country down for the last three months or so anyways, but I'm sure it would be far more and half of Twitter would be banned for sharing the hashtag. I guarantee you it. We won't know because unlike the left who's openly stated when they go low, we go lower, or punch them in the lower, or something to that effect, what Michelle Obama had said when Hillary Clinton was running in 2016. This just speaks to the mindset of liberals, that they are okay wishing death upon a man that they simply dislike. But it's not enough to just dislike him or disagree with him on policies, no, no. They have to drive it home by wishing death on him. It's lunacy. Absolutely insane. Tons of celebrities and public figures were replied to by liberal lefties using the horrific hashtag and none, not one, none condemned the disgusting trend. None even mentioned it. Not one said it was wrong or bad or even that they wouldn't support it. But do you know why? Because they do support it. Joe Biden tweeted almost 24 hours after the death announcement and over 1,500 replies to that tweet utilized that hashtag. And not once did Joe, any of his staffers, or any fellow Democrats condemn that hashtag. Where was the Twitter police during the trend of hashtag wrong Trump? They're quick to say me saying men are men and women are women is against their policies and deem it hate speech, but wishing death, death, on a duly elected president of the United States is nothing. And Facebook was just as bad. Mark Zuckerberg couldn't even muster up the testicular fortitude to punish people wishing death on an elected public official. Yet, I can be Facebook jailed for simply saying a baby is a baby at conception. Everyone who supports the use of that hashtag should be ashamed of themselves. Personally, I hope all have made some sort of peace with the fact that when they pass, like everybody does at some point, everybody's going to pass away. I hope that they had some little sort of peace that they've made with the fact that they will have a special place in whatever the afterlife that they believe in, they'll be there. Because that is disgusting. I've seen a lot of things over the years of Twitter, Facebook, even back to the MySpace days. I've never seen something as disgusting and vile as that. That is irreprehensible. To wish death upon somebody simply because you don't agree with them as a person, their moral character, their their standards. It, it's sick that a duly elected president of the United States can be harassed on social media in America 2020 by the, the people who swear... That they are the party of tolerance. They're the side of tolerance. 
they're the side of of being uh loving and caring and supportive of everybody but only if you're on the left because if you're on the right you get called a racist a xenophobe a homophobe a transphobe a bigot hitler a nazi orange man this is the party who who just a couple of days ago swore up and down that if President Trump lost in November that he would have to be drug out of the White House. That he wouldn't go peacefully because he wouldn't he wouldn't accept defeat in November. And it's the same party that has yet to accept defeat four years ago in 2016. Same party. Same party that has refused to accept that they lost in a democratic election to Donald Trump. They have refused to accept it for four years. We've heard nothing but Russia collusion, Ukraine collusion, this, that, the book that he was supposed to be mentioned about that, that was going to just annihilate his presidency, the entire impeachment process that they trampled all over to get done and it didn't even fully succeed because they didn't have the necessary evidence to succeed in that for four years they have yet to accept defeat and I'm willing to bet this year is going to be no different we're going to have another four years after Trump gets elected, that they will refuse to accept defeat. The only thing I'm hoping is that this time, all the people that have been claiming for the last year, two years, that they're going to leave the country if President Trump is reelected, I hope that they follow through with it because they said the same thing four years ago. Lo and behold, Rosie O'Donnell, Ellen DeGeneres, all these people are still here. They're still suckling at the teat of the freedoms of America. But they'll trash it. They'll bash it. They'll destroy it if they can. I'm just hoping that when he gets reelected in November that they follow through with it and go somewhere else. But they won't. You know why? Because they couldn't get away with even a fraction of what they do here in another country. Go to another country and and publicly call for the death of the leader of that country. See where it gets you. Because I guarantee you it won't get you trending on Twitter. It won't get you Facebook famous. I can guarantee you that. It's going to get you put in jail or death. Because that's about the only two things you got going on in some of them other countries. If you disagree with how that leader is running things and you publicly make that known, chances are they're going to kill you or they're going to lock you in some sort of rat-infested dungeon and you're going to sit there the rest of your life eating water and bread if they give you that. So you could talk all day about how you hate America, but you still live here. You still 
accept the freedoms that we give you to be able to stand around and yell and scream and wish death upon the duly elected president of this country. And you have that freedom. Although, as wrong as it may be because you want to strip away my freedom, Facebook will take away my freedom, but they want to give it to the liberals. They want to give it to the left Allow them to say what they want, but I can't. If I say a man is a man biologically, or a woman is biologically a woman, I get banned for hate speech. They want to censor me. But they don't censor them calling for the death of President Donald Trump. And it doesn't just stop at Donald Trump. I mean, they call for the death of anybody who disagrees with them. I can't count the amount of death threats that I get from people that want to debate or talk on Facebook give their opinion when I give mine and present facts then they tell me they want me to die I've had my my life threatened I've had my wife's life threatened I had a, a man threatened to uh, pardon me because there's no other way to put it gang rape my eight-year-old daughter because he disagreed with my beliefs my political beliefs. And then, on top of that, when I pointed it out to Facebook and said, look what this man has said to me. Look, what happened? I got banned. I got put in Facebook jail. He didn't. I did. And that's where social media has gone. They aren't even, they aren't even, they don't even have a mask on anymore. They've taken the mask off. They show it every day. They're open about it. They're open by letting liberal leftist media outlets run rampant all over Facebook and Twitter. But when I try and post The Johnny Ray Show, a conservative podcast, it, it, gets, it gets censored. It gets throttled. They do it with all the big names. It's not even just me. I'm a nobody. They do it with Steven Crowder. They've done it with Ben Shapiro. They do it with Michael Knowles. They do it with Matt Walsh. They do it with Hannity. They do it with with Tucker Carlson. It's not just me. It's every conservative. If you are politically openly conservative and you speak it on social media, there is a 99% chance you're going to get throttled and censored at some point. It's a guarantee. But anyways, also in the news the last few days was the early return announcement of Nancy Pelosi and the House of Representatives. Yesterday, Pelosi called the House back into session not to vote on the need for American people to be fully helped by the now-ended unemployment or the stimulus package to help American people. No, no, no. It was to vote on the United States Postal Service bill. A bill that not, it, it's not to help American people, not to get the economy back on track, or to help get people relief from setbacks of the COVID-19. Nope. It's to fund their political agenda of mail-in voting in November. For the last few weeks or so, the left has pushed the verified false narrative that Trump is trying to destroy the United States Post Office. Not true at all. 
Not even a little bit. Fact is, Trump has said he doesn't want to bail out the United States Postal Service while they are delivering packages to dis distribution companies like Amazon for a fraction of what they should be charging. The USPS is charging Amazon X amount of dollars to deliver Amazon packages when it costs more for the United States Postal Service to deliver said package. So why should the government give them more money when they should be charging Amazon more to cover costs of delivering packages? The USPS said at the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, this is according to the New York Times, that the service expected to spend about $2 billion a month for 18 months, which could lead to bankruptcy as soon as September. The $10 billion loan they asked for could push that back to March of 2021, Postal Leader said. Now, that doesn't stop Biden and Harris and the liberals from falsely claiming he's defunding the United States Postal Service to slow down mail-in voting. Take a listen to this Bernie Sanders clip. Senator Sanders, um, I mean, I cannot believe that we're even here talking about birtherism. It, it well, is we're not. It, you know, and Anderson, we're not. This is so absurd. It's a, just another racist lie. It's an embarrassment to the people of our country. But what Trump is trying to do right now, among many other things, is deflect attention away from the reality facing working people in this country. He wants us to talk about all of that stupid stuff. But the reality today in America is there are many millions of people who are unemployed, people who are worried about being able to feed their kids, worried about being evicted from their homes, pay their bills, have health care. And Trump will deflect attention from that because, among other things, he has refused to sit down and negotiate with Democrats about extending the kind of benefits that we provided four months ago. He wasn't there. McConnell is not there. I guess Mr. Meadows now, his chief negotiator, is on vacation. But what we have got to do is extend that $600 a week supplement for workers all over this country who are unemployed. We got to continue and expand on that $1,200 check that people desperately needed. We have got to provide health care to all of our people, provide funding for cities and states and schools who are desperately in need of that funding. But Trump won't talk about that. That's not what he does. The, the he other will try to deflect attention. But this is just another racist, stupid attack from a president who must be defeated uh, in November. I mean, the other thing he, he doesn't want to talk about is COVID-19 and a pandemic uh, which has killed more than 160,000 Americans. Who knows the actual number uh, and, and the actual number of people who have actually been infected with this, this virus. The president hasn't attended. He, he had one, he attended one uh, task force meeting since April. He tweeted out pictures of it the other week. Um, but the, I mean, he's not, there is no national plan still on, we're still talking about testing. We're still talking about swabs. We're still talking about PPE uh, and contact tracing. Anderson, tens and tens of thousands of people have died unnecessarily because of the irresponsibility of this president, who in fact does not believe in science. He doesn't believe in the science of climate change. 
He doesn't believe in the science of epidemiology. So what we have had from day one is a president who has ignored the severity of the crisis. This is a president who has attacked and humiliated doctors and scientists who are working on our behalf. This is a president who held a rally, a political rally, indoors in Tulsa without social distancing, without masks, and people got sick. Some died as a result of that rally. This is a president who has done nothing to make sure that our doctors and nurses have the personal protective equipment that they need. Unbelievable that doctors and nurses still do not have the masks, the gloves, the gowns that they need. And we have today the highest per capita death rate in terms of COVID of any major country on the earth. And state after state, situation is getting worse. People have no idea what to do in terms of whether or not kids should go to school. Total disaster, total irresponsibility. No national plan other than to attack the CDC and doctors and scientists. Those are the issues he wants to run away from. But we are not going to allow him to run away from those issues. And by the way, let's be clear. We will never get a handle on the economic collapse unless we deal with the pandemic. So the, they are directly related. The other, right now, what we have got to do is focus on those important issues. The other thing he's making an attack on is the U.S. Postal Service, which began a oh. while ago, but it has taken on greater importance and resonance given, uh, you know, the question of mail-in voting. Well, what this is about is not complicated. Uh, Trump may be crazy, but he's not stupid. And he looks at polling, he is behind. And I think what he and his friends believe that if they can suppress the vote, make it harder for people to vote, they have a better chance to win the election. So, you know, we've been talking about the Postal Service now for months and months and months, and he's been saying this and saying that. Today, you got to give him credit. He was honest. He was upfront. He's saying, we don't want to, we want to defund. He wants to defund the Postal Service. Yeah, let, let me play, let me play what he said just so viewers can hear it, and then, and then you'll mention it. We'll talk about it, because I know you tweeted about it. So let's just play what he said. Now, they need that money in order to have the post office work so it can take all of these millions and millions of ballots. Now, in the meantime, they aren't getting there. By the way, those are just two items. But if they don't get those two items, that means you can't have universal mail-in voting because they're not equipped to have it. Now, if we don't make a deal, that means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail-in voting. They just can't have it. I don't know if you realize he was saying that out loud, but... I mean, he said it Anderson, out loud. I don't have, you're asking me to comment? I don't have to comment. He just said it. What he has just told the American people, and listen, you know, I am a proud conservative. Not everybody out there agrees with me. I got it. There are moderates. There are conservatives. Okay. I'm proud progressive. But, you know, if you believe in America, if you believe in democracy, you do not support a president who is literally trying to destroy the Postal Service because he does not want people in the middle of a pandemic to vote. You will remember some months ago, Anderson, they had that primary in Wisconsin. And I had my reservations about that. People went to that primary. Some people got sick as a result. People are nervous about this virus. Poll, poll workers, people who work in the polling places 
are nervous about the virus. Right here in Vermont, just the other day, we had a uh, we had our primaries. Voter turnout was very, very high, overwhelmingly mail-in ballots. It worked just fine. But what Trump is attempting to do and make it clear is to suppress the vote by destroying the postal service, by making it harder for people to fill out and send mail-in ballots. Do you think that's going to work? We'll do everything we can to make sure that it doesn't work. I've called for the resignation of the new uh, postmaster general, who in his own way, through regulations, is trying to sabotage the Postal Service. But clearly, it, it seems to me pretty obvious that if there is a decent-sized turnout in this election, Trump loses. And I think Trump understands that. And that's why he's going to do everything he can to suppress the vote, including trying to destroy the Postal Service. Now, the way the left refuses to play context is stupendous here. They cut the clip to just show the narrative they wanted to show. They don't show that Trump, seconds before the clip, said that they want $25 billion to fund the USPS, along with $2.5 billion, that's B with a, a billion with a B here, strictly for mail-in ballots. This is what Trump had to say in full context. Take a listen. Who knows and, and whether what or not happened you'll get in terms there. of the breakdown and talks on the stimulus? Tell me about that, because that's another thing that they were complaining about you yesterday, saying, well, he's not there negotiating. We want to get something done. done. The Democrats have put on the table this $3 trillion plan. What specifically are they pushing for that is causing this breakdown in any deals? Nancy Pelosi said that the Democrats uh, want to, and the White House are still miles apart on, on stimulus. Well, they're right, and it's their fault. They want three and a half billion dollars for something that'll turn out to be fraudulent. That's election money, basically. They want three and a half trillion uh, billion dollars for the mail-in votes. Okay, universal mail-in ballots. Three and a half trillion. They want twenty-five billion dollars. Billion. For the post office. Now, they need that money in order to have the post office work so it can take all of these millions and millions of ballots. Now, in the meantime, they aren't getting there. By the way, those are just two items. But if they don't get those two items, that means you can't have universal mail-in voting because they're not equipped to have it. And you see how bad it's been with this Carolyn Maloney scam. She scammed her way into an election. She probably lost, but they said mail-in ballots, it's all mixed up. Patterson, New Jersey, same thing. Yesterday, Virginia, 500,000 applications for ballots got sent to everybody. Nobody even knows. Got sent to dogs, got sent to dead people. Nobody has no idea what happened. They said, oh, we made a mistake. I'm sorry. 500,000 ballots sent in Virginia. How do you feel about Virginia going in there and you have 500,000 wow. phony ballot applications? And this is all over. So I this give is you... what's holding it up? They want... No, no, no. So that's Mr. only President, one aspect of it. This is what's holding it. up money for the American people. They want mail-in votings and, and they want money for the post office. This is one of the sticking points that's holding back stimulus for Americans during this coronavirus. The oh, yeah, Democrats that's one wanting of them. money for that's, the post office for mail-in voting. That's one of them. That's right. How what would you like to have, Maria, how would you like to have three and a half billion dollars, billion, for mail-in voting? Billion. So if you didn't have it, you wouldn't. You, you know how much money that is. Nobody has any idea. You know, people. Oh, three and a half billion. 
They want $25 billion for the post office because the post office is going to have to go to town to get these great, ridiculous ballots in. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting out and voting. You get out and vote. They voted during World War One and World War Two, and they should have voter ID because the Democrats scammed the system. But two of the items are the post office and the three and a half billion dollars for mail-in voting. Now, if we don't make a deal, that means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail-in voting. They just can't have it. So, you know, sort I of see. a crazy thing. Yeah, see, admitting the voter suppression scheme is the part you're not supposed to say out loud. So what we have here is a completely unambiguous admission that the reason that Trump won't allow funding to USPS is that if you fund it, then the service would actually work and the millions of mail-in ballots might, you know, arrive. And because Trump's sole priority is to ensure that the election is fundamentally broken, and knowing that the vast majority of Americans will vote by mail this year, his goal right now is to do whatever he can to cripple the very method for our ballots arriving in time to be counted. He knows that if he can't stop people from voting by mail, at least he can try to stop their ballots from getting there. The Republican thinking for targeting mail-in ballots is this. In rural areas, which tend to vote Republican, voting in person doesn't pose that serious of a problem, since there are less people in smaller crowds and therefore less of a chance of contracting the virus. But in urban areas, which tend to vote Democratic, voting in person and waiting in long lines with tons of other people does pose a greater risk in a pandemic. And so they're more likely to defer to mail-in voting. So those are the voters that Trump wants to disenfranchise. Why? Because he only wants people who are voting for him to be able to vote. In case you were wondering just how much Trump is leaning on the authoritarian playbook here. Aside from that, he's already spent months conditioning his supporters not to vote by mail, whereas Democrats have embraced it. And because polling is now showing that a portion of Republicans are actually resistant to sending their ballots in by mail thanks to Trump, he's just trying to make sure that only those who are inclined to vote in person, meaning his supporters, are the ones whose votes are counted. His excuse here is that mail-in voting could lead to the quote, greatest fraud in history. but. You guessed it, there is zero evidence to back that up. In actuality, according to an analysis by MIT, over the last 20 years, there have been 143 cases of fraud using mail ballots. That comes out to eight cases of fraud per year. And that comes out to an occurrence of 0.00006%. That is the rate of voter fraud. That's not enough to swing the results of class treasurer in a school with 100 kids in it. And yet Trump is trying to convince us that it's evidence of a completely discredited election? Right. What sabotaging the post office does is not only pose a risk to the future of our democracy at a time when it's needed most, but it hurts Americans across the board, in both parties. People rely on timely delivery of mail for life-saving medications. Small businesses rely on the mail to conduct business and keep their customers happy. People rely on the mail for payment and time-sensitive documents. And up to 15% of postal workers are veterans, making it one of the largest veteran employers in the country. The fact is that I don't need to keep explaining why the mail is important because there is no one who doesn't already understand this. And yet the fact that Trump is looking to destroy the entire system anyway, all to benefit himself personally, shows that there is no extent he won't go to, nothing he won't blow up in order to help himself and his re-election. Just imagine if Trump tackled the coronavirus pandemic with the same precision, efficiency, and urgency that he used to destroy our own postal service. The irony being that he might have actually contained the spread and he would have something to actually brag about and he wouldn't even need to sabotage the election. But instead, knowing that he's failed, 
he's spending his energy not governing, but just focusing on tightening his grip on power. Trump doesn't want to help the people, he doesn't want to get the virus under control, he doesn't want to strengthen our democracy or defend the rule of law, he only wants to get reelected, and he doesn't care what he has to burn down to get there. And don't forget to listen to my podcast, No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, where I'll take a deep dive into the biggest issues of the week and interview major players in the world of politics, like Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, Beto O'Rourke, Eric Swalwell, Katie Porter, and many more. Again, that's No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now, this is all in the bill sitting in Congress right now to do with COVID-19 relief. What exactly does mail-in ballots have to do with relief for COVID-19? Nothing. Nothing at all. Just like the Dems did the first relief bill, adding in billions and billions to remodel buildings in New York and paint street signs in L.A. and funding Planned Parenthood, it had nothing to do then and it has nothing to do with it now. What the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi are doing is holding the American workers' financial status hostage. They proposed a bill with all these extra figures in it that have zero to do with the pandemic and then politicize it for their base. And Trump isn't going to, as he shouldn't. It's funny, the same people scared of the big bad COVID in polling stations are the same ones rioting and looting, protesting, burning things down, and going to Walmart with their masks half off their face. I can at any given time go into a Walmart and count at least 30 plus people incorrectly wearing their mask, yet they're not afraid of COVID there. Oh, I forgot. COVID is such a sentient being it knows Walmart is a no-go. It knows it can't do anything in a Walmart. But church, it's full force in church. In a small business, full force. Polling stations in November, it's extra full force there. Hey, maybe in November, we can just have polling stations set up inside Walmarts across the country. So that the COVID won't attack. Or maybe we can make a mandate... That while casting a ballot, you can set a building on fire so that COVID knows not to infect anyone. It's insane. It's crazy. It's ludicrous. It's idiocy. Breaking news, COVID can attack while voting for President of the United States, but not while shopping for taco shells at Walmart. Hmm. Guess I missed that memo, huh? And finally, before I get going... The DNC National Convention started tonight in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was a virtual convention with speakers such as Michelle Obama and Bernie Sanders, as well as the ever-moral New York Governor Fredo Cuomo and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. They even trotted out the daughter of a person who died of COVID in order to attack President Trump. Tonight started the four-night convention, which will feature the normal, well, the new normal, liberal messages of white people are racist if they don't bow to us. Trump is literally Hitler. You should all be terrified of dying from COVID-19. And if you don't vote for Biden-Harris 2020, 
You Ain't Black. Here are a few key moments in tonight's DNC convention. Take a listen. Today's Monday, day 170. New Yorkers were ground zero for the COVID virus and have gone from one of the highest infection rates on the globe to one of the lowest. We climbed the impossible mountain, and right now we are on the other side. We did it with the kindness and assistance of so many. New Yorkers want to thank everyone who came to our aid, 30,000 Americans who volunteered to come here to help in our hour of need. Your love gave us the strength to carry on. We went through hell, but we have learned much. We know that our problems go beyond the COVID virus. COVID is the symptom, not the illness. Our nation is in crisis, and in many ways, COVID is just a metaphor. A virus attacks when the body is weak and when it cannot defend itself. Over these past few years, America's body politic has been weakened. The divisions have been growing deeper. The anti-Semitism, the anti-Latino, the anti-immigrant fervor, the racism in Charlottesville, where the KKK didn't even bother to wear their hoods, and in Minnesota, where the life was squeezed from Mr. Floyd. Only a strong body can fight off the virus, and America's divisions weakened it. Donald Trump didn't create the initial division. The division created Trump. He only made it worse. Our collective strength is exercised through government. It is, in effect, our immune system. And our current federal government is dysfunctional and incompetent. It couldn't fight off the virus. In fact, it didn't even see it coming. The European virus infected the Northeast while the White House was still fixated on China. The virus had been attacking us for months before they even knew it was here. We saw the failure of a government that tried to deny the virus, then tried to ignore it, and then tried to politicize it. The failed federal government that watched New York get ambushed by their negligence and then watched New York suffer, but all through it learned absolutely nothing. So today, six months after it began, the nation is still unprepared. And we now face a second threat, but this time not from Mother Nature. This is a man-made threat by our own negligence. We now see the virus ricocheting across the country from one state to another. Today, we trail the world in defeating COVID. We have over 5 million cases. Americans learned a critical lesson, how vulnerable we are when we are divided and how many lives can be lost when our government is incompetent. But we learned something else, my friends. We saw the negative, but we also saw the positive. As they proved their way failed, we proved that our way succeeded. That America can still rise to the occasion. We can put our differences aside and find commonality. Government can tell the truth and can build trust. We can judge by content of character rather than color of skin. We can care for one another. That Americans can work together and forge community and a competent government. That of course we will wear masks because we are smart and because I care about you and because you care about me. Of course we will socially distance because staying away shows how close we actually are. Yes, we will set up testing and tracing and do whatever we need to do to mobilize to win this battle because we are America, we win wars, and we are the greatest country on the globe. And for all the pain and all the tears, our way worked. 
and it was beautiful. We showed that our better angels are strong and that Americans will rise to their call. We saw that even at the end of the day, even if it is a long day, that love wins. Americans' eyes have been opened, and we have seen in this crisis the truth that government matters and leadership matters. And it determines whether we thrive and grow or whether we live or die. Now we need a leader as good as our people, a leader who appeals to the best within us, not the worst, a leader who can unify, not divide, a leader who can bring us up, not tear us down. I know that man. I've worked with that man. I've seen his talent. I've seen his strength. I've seen his pain, and I've seen his heart. That man is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is what I call America tough, tough in the best way, tough that is smart, united, disciplined, and loving. Joe Biden can restore the soul of America. And that's exactly what our country needs today. Thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. So let's just forget that Fredo killed thousands of people in New York City by putting COVID-positive people in nursing homes all over the city. We're just going to forget all about that, right? It was here that just weeks ago, Americans donned face masks and safely and peacefully protested the death of George Floyd. But while we were peacefully protesting, Donald Trump was plotting. He stood in front of one of our most treasured houses of worship and held a Bible for a photo op. He sent tro troops and camouflage into our streets. He sent tear gas into the air and federal helicopters too. I knew if he did this to DC, he would do it to your city or your town. And that's when I said enough. I said enough for every black and brown American who has experienced injustice. Enough for every American who believes injustice. But I said enough for another reason, too. I have a two-year-old daughter, and I want her to grow up in an America where she's not scared to walk to the store, an America where she's safe behind the doors of her own home, an America where the president doesn't fan the flames of racism and looks out for all of us. So I created Black Lives Matter Plaza right behind me as a place where we could come together to say enough. And by coming together this November to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we will say next. Because we can't just paint those words behind me. We can't just say those words. We have to live those words. We have to undo the laws and systems that have codified racism for far too long. But we have to do something, too. Each and every one of us challenge our own biases. If we see something, do something. Together, we can turn this reckoning into a reimagining of a nation where we the people means all the people. There were a few people who stood on this very balcony as thousands of people peacefully protested in this city. One was our next vice president, my sister Kamala Harris. 
Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. Oh, there it is. The Donald Trump is a racist cameo I was waiting for. Hi, I'm Kristen Urquiza. I'm one of the many who has lost a loved one to COVID. My dad, Mark Anthony Urquiza, should be here today, but he isn't. He had faith in Donald Trump. He voted for him, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, and that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. So in late May, after the stay-at-home order was lifted in Arizona, my dad went to a karaoke bar with his friends. A few weeks later, he was put on a ventilator. And after five agonizing days, he died alone in the ICU with a nurse holding his hand. My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump and for that, he paid with his life. I am not alone. Once I told my story, a lot of people reached out to me to share theirs. They asked me to help them keep their communities safe, especially communities of color, which have been disproportionately affected. They asked me, a normal person, to help because Donald Trump won't. The coronavirus has made it clear that there are two Americas, the America that Donald Trump lives in and the America that my father died in. Enough is enough. Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus, but his dishonesty and his irresponsible actions made it so much worse. We need a leader who has a national, coordinated, data-driven response to stop this pandemic from claiming more lives and to safely reopen the country. We need a leader who will step in on day one and do his job to care. One of the last things that my father said to me was that he felt betrayed by the likes of Donald Trump. And so when I cast my vote for Joe Biden, I will do it for my dad. Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. So, does anyone remember when Barack Obama was lambasted and blamed for the deaths caused by H1N1? No? He, he wasn't? Wow. Must be nice to get to pick and choose who's to blame for pandemics in America, huh? Huh? And Senator Bernie Sanders ready to speak right now. Good evening. Our great nation is now living in an unprecedented moment. We're facing the worst public health crisis in 100 years and the worst economic collapse since the Great Depression. We are confronting systemic racism and the enormous threat to our planet of climate change. And in the midst of all of this, we have a president 
who is not only incapable of addressing these crises, but is leading us down the path of authoritarianism. This election is the most important in the modern history of this country. In response to the unprecedented crises we face, we need an unprecedented response, a movement like never before, of people who are prepared to stand up and fight for democracy and decency and against greed, oligarchy, and bigotry. And we need Joe Biden as our next president. Let me take this opportunity to say a word to the millions of people who supported my campaign this year and in 2016. My friends, thank you for your trust, your support, and the love you showed Jane, me, and our family. Together, we have moved this country in a bold new direction, showing that all of us, black and white, Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay and straight, native-born and immigrant, yearn for a nation based on the principles of justice, love, and compassion. Our campaign ended several months ago, but our movement continues and is getting stronger every day. Many of the ideas we fought for that just a few years ago were considered radical are now mainstream. But let us be clear, if Donald Trump is reelected, all the progress we have made will be in jeopardy. At its most basic, this election is about preserving our democracy. During this president's term, the unthinkable has become normal. He has tried to prevent people from voting, undermined the U.S. Postal Service, deployed the military and federal agents against peaceful protesters, threatened to delay the election, and suggested that he will not leave office if he loses. This is not normal, and we must never treat it like it is. Under this administration, authoritarianism has taken root in our country. I and my family, and many of yours, know the insidious way authoritarianism destroys democracy, decency, and humanity. As long as I am here, I will work with progressives, with moderates, and yes, with conservatives to preserve this nation from a threat that so many of our heroes fought and died to defeat. This president is not just a threat to our democracy, but by rejecting science, he has put our lives and health in jeopardy. Trump has attacked doctors and scientists trying to protect us from the pandemic while refusing to take strong action to produce the masks, gowns, and gloves our healthcare workers desperately need. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Trump golfs. His actions fanned this pandemic, resulting in over 170,000 deaths and a nation still unprepared to protect its people. Furthermore, Trump's negligence has exacerbated the economic crisis we are now experiencing. Since this pandemic began, 
Over 30 million people have lost their jobs and many have lost their health insurance. Millions of working families are wondering how they will feed their kids and they're worried that they will be evicted from their homes. And how has Trump responded? Instead of maintaining the $600 a week unemployment supplement that workers were receiving and the $1,200 emergency checks that many of you received, instead of helping small businesses, Trump concocted fraudulent executive orders that do virtually nothing to address the crisis while threatening the very future of Social Security and Medicare. But the truth is that even before Trump's negligent response to this pandemic, too many hardworking families have been caught on an economic treadmill with no hope of ever getting ahead. Together, we must build a nation that is more equitable, more compassionate, and more inclusive. I know that Joe Biden will begin that fight on day one. Let me offer you just a few examples of how Joe will move us forward. Joe supports raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. This will give 40 million workers a pay raise and push the wage scale up for everyone else. Joe will also make it easier for workers to join unions, create 12 weeks of paid family leave, fund universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, and make childcare affordable for millions of families. Joe will rebuild our crumbling infrastructure and fight the threat of climate change by transitioning us to 100% clean electricity over the next 15 years. These initiatives will create millions of good paying jobs all across our country. As you know, we are the only industrialized nation not to guarantee health care for all people. While Joe and I disagree on the best path to get universal coverage, he has a plan that will greatly expand health care and cut the cost of prescription drugs. Further, he will lower the eligibility age of Medicare from 65 down to 60. To help reform our broken criminal justice system, Joe will end private prisons and detention centers, cash bail, and the school-to-prison pipeline. And to heal the soul of our nation, Joe Biden will end the hate and division Trump has created. He will stop the demonization of immigrants, the coddling of white nationalists, the racist dog whistling, the religious bigotry, and the ugly attacks on women. My friends, I say to you, to everyone who supported other candidates in the primary, and to those who may have voted for Donald Trump in the last election, the future of our democracy is at stake. The future of our economy is at stake. The future of our planet is at stake. We must come together, defeat Donald Trump, and elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as our next president and vice president. My friends, the price of failure is just too great to imagine. Thank you.
Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. Now, Joe Biden supports free health care. He supports free college for everyone. But better yet, he supports free pudding for everyone. Everyone. Good evening, everyone. It's a hard time, and everyone's feeling it in different ways. And I know a lot of folks are reluctant to tune into a political convention right now or to politics in general. Believe me, I get that. But I am here tonight because I love this country with all my heart. And it pains me to see so many people hurting. I've met so many of you. I've heard your stories. And through you, I have seen this country's promise. And thanks to so many who came before me, thanks to their toil and sweat and blood, I've been able to live that promise myself. That's the story of America. All those folks who sacrificed and overcame so much in their own times because they wanted something more, something better for their kids. There's a lot of beauty in that story. There's a lot of pain in it too. A lot of struggle and injustice and work left to do. And who we choose as our president in this election will determine whether or not we honor that struggle and chip away at that injustice and keep alive the very possibility of finishing that work. I am one of a handful of people living today who have seen firsthand the immense weight and awesome power of the presidency. And let me once again tell you this, the job is hard. It requires clear-headed judgment, a mastery of complex and competing issues, a devotion to facts and history, a moral compass, and an ability to listen, and an abiding belief that each of the 330 million lives in this country has meaning and worth. A president's words have the power to move markets. They can start wars or broker peace. They can summon our better angels or awaken our worst instincts. You simply cannot fake your way through this job. As I've said before, being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Well, a presidential election can reveal who we are, too. And four years ago, too many people chose to believe that their votes didn't matter. Maybe they were fed up. Maybe they thought the outcome wouldn't be close. Maybe the barriers felt too steep, whatever the reason. In the end, those choices sent someone to the Oval Office who lost the national popular vote by nearly three million votes. In one of the states that determined the outcome, the winning margin averaged out to just two votes per precinct. Two votes. And we've all been living with the consequences. 
when my husband left office with Joe Biden at his side, we had a record-breaking stretch of job creation. We'd secured the right to health care for 20 million people. We were respected around the world, rallying our allies to confront climate change. And our leaders had worked hand-in-hand -hand with scientists to help prevent an Ebola outbreak from becoming a global pandemic. Four years later, the state of this nation is very different. More than 150,000 people have died, and our economy is in shambles because of a virus that this president downplayed for too long. It has left millions of people jobless. Too many have lost their health care. Too many are struggling to take care of basic necessities like food and rent. Too many communities have been left in the lurch to grapple with whether and how to open our schools safely. Internationally, we've turned our back, not just on agreements forged by my husband, but on alliances championed by presidents like Reagan and Eisenhower. And here at home, as George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered, stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office. Because whenever we look to this White House for some leadership or consolation or any semblance of steadiness, what we get instead is chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy. Empathy, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes the recognition that someone else's experience has value, too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment. We reach out, because there but for the grace of God go I. It is not a hard concept to grasp. It's what we teach our children. Unlike so many of you, Barack and I have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. They see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. They see an entitlement that says only certain people belong here that greed is good and winning is everything, because as long as you come out on top, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And they see what happens when that lack of empathy is ginned up into outright disdain. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror 
as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Sadly, this is the America that is on display for the next generation. A nation that's underperforming not simply on matters of policy, but on matters of character. And that's not just disappointing, it's downright infuriating. Because I know the goodness and the grace that is out there in households and neighborhoods all across this nation. And I know that regardless of our race, age, religion, or politics, when we close out the noise and the fear and truly open our hearts, we know that what's going on in this country is just not right. This is not who we want to be. So what do we do now? What's our strategy? Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works. Because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. We degrade ourselves. We degrade the very causes for which we fight. But let's be clear. Going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty. Going high means taking the harder path. It means scraping and clawing our way to that mountaintop. Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God. And if we want to survive, we've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold hard truth. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse. Trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. 
if we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. When he was a kid, Joe's father lost his job. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair, which is why he gives his time so freely to grieving parents. Joe knows what it's like to struggle, which is why he gives his personal phone number to kids overcoming a stutter of their own. His life is a testament to getting back up. And he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up to help us heal and guide us forward. Now, Joe is not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that. But there is no perfect candidate, no perfect president, and his ability to learn and grow, we find in that the kind of humility and maturity that so many of us yearn for right now. Because Joe Biden has served this nation his entire life without ever losing sight of who he is. But more than that, he has never lost sight of who we are, all of us. Joe Biden wants all of our kids to go to a good school, see a doctor when they're sick, live on a healthy planet. And he's got plans to make all of that happen. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like, to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. And if we want a chance to pursue any of these goals, any of these most basic requirements for a functioning society, we have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, Folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. They're purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters, and they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new. But this is not the time to withhold our votes in protest or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. We have got to vote like we did in 2008 and 2012. We've got to show up with the same level of passion and hope for Joe Biden.
We've got to vote early, in person if we can. We've got to request our mail-in ballots right now, tonight, and send them back immediately and follow up to make sure they're received and then make sure our friends and families do the same. We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks, pack a brown bag, dinner, and maybe breakfast too, because we've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to. Look, we have already sacrificed so much this year. So many of you are already going that extra mile. Even when you're exhausted, you're mustering up unimaginable courage to put on those scrubs and give our loved ones a fighting chance. Even when you're anxious, you're delivering those packages, stocking those shelves, and doing all that essential work so that all of us can keep moving forward. Even when it all feels so overwhelming, working parents are somehow piecing it all together without childcare. Teachers are getting creative so that our kids can still learn and grow. Our young people are desperately fighting to pursue their dreams. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our consciences, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. This is who we still are, compassionate, resilient, decent people whose fortunes are bound up with one another. And it is well past time for our leaders to once again reflect our truth. So it is up to us to add our voices and our votes to the course of history, echoing heroes like John Lewis who said, when you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. That is the truest form of empathy. Not just feeling, but doing. Not just for ourselves or our kids, but for everyone, for all our kids. And if we wanna keep the possibility of progress alive in our time, if we want to be able to look our children in the eye after this election, we have got to reassert our place in American history. And we have got to do everything we can to elect my friend Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Thank you all. God bless. Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. And Michelle rounded out the night appealing to the ever-growing hatred of Donald Trump. She, of course, made excuses for the Democrats losing 2016 and pleaded to their base to get out well, stay home and vote. She spoke about how her husband did this and did that, but failed to mention her husband stoking the fires of racial divide, how her husband refused to even call for a national emergency during the H1N1 until thousands had died, or how her husband paid 
a long list of terrorist countries instead of what Trump did and faced them and eliminated those terrorist leaders and threats. But she picked up right where her husband left off, pushing the racial divide, saying that conservatives are against black lives. It, it can only get worse from here over the next couple of nights, I'm sure. And so, tomorrow night, the crazy convention continues with former acting U.S. Attorney General Sally Yates, Chuck Schumer, former Secretary of State John Kerry, old crazy eyes herself AOC, Wild Bill, Bill Clinton, and will end with DNC candidate Joe Biden. Sounds real exciting. Extreme close-up! That's all for tonight. Please tune in tomorrow for more coverage of the DNC convention as well as all the current events. Don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. And until tomorrow, thank you and God bless.